0: Hello and welcome to episode 254 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories, one page, one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Billy Diamond Jr., creator of Norvis Ordo. Billy, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast. Let's uh, do as we normally do. Let's start off with a a quick bio um, and an elevator pitch for this book.
1: Thanks for having me on. Um, So my name is Billy Diamond Jr. Uh, I am currently working on Uh, a I'm kind of doing the solo thing on a book called the revelation of Nova Sordo. Um, I've done some collaborative stuff. I've been into comic creation. Um, I wouldn't say anything official or anything real, real tight, but I've been kind of on and off in it for the last 10 years or so. And of course, comics have always been something that I've been interested in Uh, my background and My influences are kind of more wrapped around the writing. I've always been an artist, but um, the art side of comics is something that I'm relatively new at, as in like the last two years. Um, And as far as the uh, elevator pitch for Nova Sordo, the idea around this is, what if all of the mythology that exists everywhere in the world is linked, and what would that look like? And where did that power structure go? And what would happen if that power structure were suddenly reintroduced into the modern world?
0: That uh, that sounds really cool. Um, so let's sort of do a bit of a, an origin story. You said that this has sort of been a uh, you know a ten year sort of in and out uh, working in various. Um, you know, aspects of comics creation. So I'm guessing maybe about 10 years ago, you got the bug uh, to, to 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 be a creator. Is that uh, correct? So, I mean, I've always had the bug ever since I was a little kid. I
1: mean, the joke that I always tell people is when I was growing up, I only had three possible career choices. I was either going to be a comic book creator or I was going to be a professional wrestler or a heavy metal frontman. One wow. of those three things was going to be was going to be my future. Unfortunately, I'm not nearly athletic enough to be a pro wrestler, so uh, so here I am. Um, but no, I've always loved comic books, and I've always, you know, one of the things in in music that I've heard artists say is that if you really love music, you become a musician. And I kind of feel that way about comics to a certain extent. I mean, you can appreciate the medium, but if you truly are in love with it. Um, I think you find a way to, to become creative in that avenue. And I just love the media. I love, I love the format. I love everything about it. Um, there's so much that you can do with a comic book that you can't do with anything else. And so I've always, you know, like you look at the stories and the scope of things and, you know, the quote unquote special effects that you can do. I mean, it's all just your imagination, pen, pencil and paper you can do that in the book for, you know, however much it costs you to get the supplies. Whereas if you tried to make a movie or TV show out of that, you'd be looking at tens of millions of dollars of investment. So, I mean, it's just, the sky's the limit. It's your creativity is kind of what caps what's possible. And that's just fascinating to me. Um, So the bug was always there to get back to your question, I guess. Um, But for me, really, I Like I said in the, uh, in the intro, I've, I've always been an artist, but I've never considered myself up to snuff um, to really put my own work out there. So I kind of focused more on the writing for a long time. And I had a guy that I've worked with. Uh, we actually just finished up a, a Kickstarter campaign that was successfully backed. Um, his name is Jay Red. Uh, we've been collaborators. I mean, we went, to, we went to high school together. I've known him for a long time. And uh, so I would always have these ideas and I'd, I'd write up these synopsis and scripts and push those things over to him and, and hound him until he finally would cave and, and make the book with me. Um, and we still work on stuff together. He's actually, he's an editor on uh, the Novus Ordo project that I'm working on now. Um, but then whenever the, well, whenever life kind of slowed down for everybody the last couple of years um, I found myself suddenly with everything that I needed to make the switch to digital, which was something that I'd never really had the opportunity for before. And to really, cause that was always the hurdle was how do I get this massive page that I've drawn into a, from this massive page down to something that could actually be printed and be published. Um, and like that, the technology gap was just, I never really had all the tools that I needed to bridge that gap. And when I found myself suddenly with all the tools necessary to start working, I I am a 100% digital artist. Um, And whenever I found myself with all the tools that I needed to do that and just kind of putting the pieces together on how you format your files and, and how you export things and what, what printers are looking for when you send them your, your compiled documents and things like that. Like, It was a much narrower gap to try to bridge and that was really what kind of opened up the world of being able to start doing my own artwork Um, and since then like i said i've been doing my own artwork for my own stories now for about two years and man i have learned so much about i mean of course i've read all the books about how you lay out a panel and or a page and how you make panels flow and the page turn and leave room for the dialogue and word balloons and all that stuff. Um, but to really put all that into motion, you, you learn real quick, especially what not to do. And there's been a lot of that in the last two years. I look at the stuff that I did two years ago versus the stuff I'm doing now, and it's just leaps and bounds ahead of where it was in a pretty short span of time.
0: Very cool. So I'm guessing i um, just sort of from what you said, uh, you were probably like a lot of the the folks that I have on the podcast. And certainly I was one of these kids where if you gave me a piece of paper in school, you know, I, I was taking notes, but I was also, you know, drawing pictures of, of Spider-Man and Batman and, and, and the margins. So we, um, you said that you've made this transition from, um, you know, traditional to, to digital in the last two years. What was some of the uh, either the things that were a hurdle for you or things that, uh, you know, like you were like, oh, wow, this is something I'm going to be able to take advantage of.
1: So, the big thing was for me learning how to control the, uh, the, what I would call a pencil stroke, really, because I always had a very fluid hand motion. Okay. And so, when I was working in pencil, I, I never, I'm not one of those like super like surgical artists, you know, I kind of have more of a flow to my, to my physical media style. And you can't, whatever it was that I was doing, I don't, I don't even really know how to describe it, but whatever it was that I was doing with a pencil and piece of paper in front of me was not something that I could replicate working on an iPad with a stylus. Uh, so that was really the big challenge was one wrapping my head around how to use all the different brushes and what all the different brushes are, because I'm used to, there's pencils, there's pens for inks and there's brushes for inks and then whatever, you know, a hundred different ways to color a page, depending Mm -hmm. on what your, your preferences are. But now having all of that here and it's just, I click this button instead of having to go and like get out a palette of watercolor or whatever, uh, that was that was a, a big transition, and that's actually one of the things that you can see in my early artwork was a digital artwork. Was everything was with one brush? It's all flat colors. It's all the same kind of line work. Uh, it was very very basic. Um, I would say probably. Uh, I mean it, it it was a big step back, really, from where my artwork was when I was doing it. You know, physically versus where I kind of started off digitally two years ago. So that was the big, big hurdle, was learning how to draw
0: on a tablet. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. And what uh, what is your program of of choice for, for making comics? I do everything in MetaBank
1: Paint, actually. I, I think it was built mostly as a program for making manga. Okay. Um, but it has everything built into it. It's got... It, I mean, i pencils, inks, colors. You could do all of your lettering. You can do the word balloons. You can design your page layouts and and design your panels. I mean, it, it literally can do every step of the process that you need it to do. I think it was purpose built. And unlike, you know, a lot of, like the guy that I work with, Jay Red, on some other things, he uses Procreate. And Procreate is, a very very common thing for people to use to make comics but i don't think that program was necessarily purpose built for that Mm -hmm. and metabang seems like it was purpose built for this this world so i just gravitated
0: towards it very nice yeah i'm scrolling through the, the the preview you gave me uh, um, now as as we're talking um, of of issue one, um, and I'm just taking a look at, at some of the stuff and I can see that there's a lot of, of thought put into the panel design there's a lot of sort of character des- or you know angles of characters that are leading into the to the next panel. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd have to, I know I, you know, you said Procreate, you know, Clip Studio Paint, Photoshop are sort of, I think like the big three, but that's a, that's a new one, um, that I haven't heard before the, the program that you're using now.
1: Okay. Well, that's cool. I'm su- I, I'm surprised that seems to be the reaction that I get. I mean, it's like, nobody's ever heard of it.
0: Um, I, but it's, it's excellent. I mean, it does literally everything. Cool. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm looking, you have a colored cover, um, but then it looks like uh, you're at least for the, the first issue, and I, I need to check into on the second issue, but you, you're going with uh, sort of black and white and gray tones. Was, what, was the, what was the choice there? I mean, it really was, I'll be
1: honest, I'm not much of a colorer. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an art form that, especially in a digital format, that I just have not mastered. Uh, I did do the colors for the cover. Um, it just takes me a lot longer mm-hmm. and it requires a lot more feedback from a second set of eyes to kind of get the vibe that I'm going for. And it, so plus it's cheaper, it's cheaper to print a book in black and white than it is to print one in color. I mean, if we just want to be economical and, and straight to the point about decision-making. Um, but there was also when I did that first print run for the first issue, um, me and, some of the guys that I've worked with um, had just kind of started talking about, you know, like it would be cool to do a book that wasn't in grayscale, but was in halftone. And so for the print run, uh, the print run was actually in halftone instead of the grayscale. And I, of course, halftone does not translate well to digital. Mm-hmm. So I, I redid the, the grace or the, uh, the halftone layers in just a simple grayscale for the, for the digital copy, just so it would read better. Um, but that's kind of where that, that came from, was I just wanted to kind of play around with what halftone would look like. Um, because I'm probably looking at primarily digital release, I am kind of moving away from the halftone. I'm working on issue three of the book right now. And in issue three, I've kind of moved away from the halftone. So I'm going just back to the grayscale Mm-hmm. but I mean, it really, it was just a, what can I do? I don't want to take a year to write, draw and color a 24 page comic book. When, if I just take the color aspect of it out, I can, I can get a book done in my, in my downtime at home, like after my day job, been, you know, like six weeks. So, I mean, it's just a huge, it's a huge time difference and, you know, and most indie work that I read is, uh, is in black and white or grayscale. Um, it's just a, it, 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 and I think for the story that I'm telling, I think it works because it does have some, I mean, there's a lot of urban fantasy and dark fantasy kind of stuff in it. Uh, but there's also a lot of mythology and horror elements to it mm-hmm. that I think the black and white works
0: well for those, for those aspects of the story. Yeah. So I have a couple of uh, more like art based questions, but then I want to shift us over into sort of the, the story. Um, So one of the problems I have when I am working digitally um, is that I can, you know, hit that undo key and just keep trying to get that perfect line or, you know, and it's just so easy to just sort of undo take another stroke don't like that undo how do you sort of balance that out i mean because you know if, if you're sitting down at a, at a bristol board you know with a brush you put that you put that line down and it's there and you, you better you know either hope it's what you got or you know go in there and, and change it around and, and and you know make that next line make it work how do you not hit the the undo key uh so that you're working <laughs> on it uh you know all the time well
1: so one of the, uh, the mantras that I have in, in art is, and something that this is, this is something that came from my collaborating partners that one of them said to me, and I just kind of latched on to is ever onward. It's mm-hmm. never going to be perfect. You're always going to go back to your old work and you should look back at your old work and see everything that you did wrong. Know that you've gotten better since you did that book. That's always going to be the case. And so I had to, I just kind of, it didn't take much for me to get there. I'm, I'm not necessarily a perfectionist by, by habit or anything like that. So I just kind of had to accept that I could spend, you know, two hours trying to get this elbow to look right, or I could get it to look right Mm-hmm. to a point where really the only person who's going to see it, if it's got a problem is me, because I'm the only one that's going to be looking at this elbow as closely as I am, because sure. there's much more interesting things going on on this page than this one elbow. Um, and just kind of, you know, ever onward, just get it to a point where you can live with the story that you're telling. And and that's really kind of my my saving grace is that I'm much more interested in telling a story through the artwork and, and being a good visual storyteller than I am with being perfect. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, if I go in and I mean, look at, you know, like Frank Miller and um, like Igor Cordy and, you know, I could just list Mike McNoll. I could list these guys off over and over and over again. I mean you look at at their work and none of it's you know picturesque none of it's perfect it's it's all got this chaotic and energetic feel to it and that's kind of kind of what I'm what I'm going for those guys are they're storytellers they're visual storytellers it's not necessarily that they're the great and, and I'm not saying that if they didn't want to they couldn't but they're not trying to put picture-perfect anatomy and um, picture-perfect, oh gosh, what's the the word I'm looking for here? Perspective, picture-perfect perspective on the page. They're trying to tell you a story Mm -hmm. and that's more where I'm coming from as well. I I would rather know that I'm getting the story across and there be some gaps maybe in how quote-unquote perfect every aspect of the artwork is, as long as the story is being told effectively.
0: Yeah, I think early on, one of the, the, the sayings that I heard, and I think it's Jake Parker, the, the guy who, uh, I think there's a little bit of controversy, um, but uh, you know he's behind Inktober. It's the, uh, the done, not perfect. Um, and that was one of the things early on, um, an artist that I worked with and I still work with, know we would trade notes um and uh you know i'm like all right this is what we're gonna do on on page six and i would wake up and like he had gone back and and redone a face on page four and i'm like oh man we were we were we were done with that page i mean you don't want to put out like terrible work but you want to you want to put out a you know work that's good and it's done and like you said you you're moving forward you can always go back and Um, you know, redraw that face and and stuff like that. So that's, that's a dangerous trap to fall into. So it sounds like you have a, a good philosophy there.
1: Yeah, I actually, my editor has said about, and most of the time I will, like if, if he comes back to me and he says, I don't think that the angle that you have in this panel works the way that you think it does, you're, you're losing this, or it's, you, you've got Uh, like you're, you're just, you're building a weird angle and it's not flowing the way that you intended it to 99% of the time I will fix that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. but it will get to the point, especially if I've already redrawn an entire page once to try to fix a whole panel, because, you know, when you change one panel, a lot of times you kind of got to start tweaking the whole page. Um, That second go around, if it's not, unless it's just a complete visual disaster, I'm moving on to the next page. Like I am I'm, I have sunk as much time and energy into this as, as I need to and is healthy.
0: And I just, I got to keep moving forward. Nice. So um, I think this is going to be our transition from, from art to, to story. You're handling so many aspects of this in the, the creation. You're the, you know, the story, um, the, the inks, um, and I'm assuming, are you doing the lettering as well? You said that earlier, right? Uh, yeah, I am. So do you, that's a unique position for, for you as a creator, you know, most of the time when I work, I am working as a a writer and I'm handing off a a script to somebody, um, I'm known with, from the artists that I've worked with, there's being sort of a, a sparse writer, um and you know have conversations with them about like you know the other writer that they're that they worked with in the past will give them these like you know we always use the sort of the 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 urban legend i don't really think it's an urban legend that you know alan moore would write these like huge panel descriptions and then dave gibbons would go in there and sort of highlight the two sentences in that that he needed for for the panel <laughs> um so you're in a unique position where you're the, the writer and the artist. So are you writing um, full script? Or are you doing sort of like a, like a marble method thing where um, you're a little loose and you're figuring it out, like in, in thumbnails, what's, what's your process from, you know, the writer hat to, to the, to the artist hat.
1: So for me, it starts off with where I want to get to within the structure of one issue in this mm-hmm. case. Um, so I, I start with my endpoint and just figure out how I'm going to get to that spot and I've already kind of got, so I don't know exactly how many issues the current story that I'm working on is going to run because I don't like to I outline basically. So I know the ending, I've got beats set throughout the story. And of course I had the, the opening scene and like that first issue, was pretty solidified in my mind before I ever really started uh, because that was kind of the, the initial creative spark is kind of what you see in the first issue. And then from there work backwards to like, okay, well, what is this thing that I'm like, you know, you just, you get that seed and it just kind of grows out. Um, But when I'm structuring a quote unquote script, um, I really just get to the outline stage. And when I say the outline stage, um I'll lay out, you know, X number of scenes. I have a, a fairly good idea when I'm writing the scene, how many pages I think that scene is going to take to do. And that changes, but I, I have a pretty good idea. And so, and then it's really just like, okay, well, what's the charge of the scene when it starts? Is it positive, negative, neutral? Like what is it? And when I get to the end of the scene, what's the charge? And making sure it changed. And as long as that happens, I keep the scene or I rework it if I need to. And then I just kind of line that up. And once I get all of those scenes kind of lined out and I, and I've got them all structured and I've gotten to my endpoint, that's pretty much where I stop writing. Okay. Um, I don't go through dialogue. I don't go through panel breakdowns or anything like that because I kind of already have, that image in the back of my head as I'm writing the scripts of like certain angles and certain scenes and certain visuals that I want to get into that scene, Mm -hmm. um, which I know is dangerous. You know, if you don't ever put something down on paper, it's, it's going to change in your head inevitably. But, um, but then I thumbnail the issue and then I just start working on the artwork. I don't actually do the dialogue until I'm doing the lettering. Of course I know, based on my outlines and my scene structures and descriptions, the the gist of the conversation that's going to go in there and what needs to be said and what point needs to get across. But I don't actually write the dialogue until I'm lettering the page. Because the one thing that I don't quite have a good feel for yet is how much text is going to fit. Mm-hmm. Versus the artwork that I'm putting in, and I'm inevitably, if I if I scripted the whole thing out, with like dialogue and everything ahead of time, I'm gonna have to rework all that dialogue once I get the finished page in front of me anyway. So I may as well just wait, know what the idea of the scene is, and then actually write the dialogue once I know how much room I have to work with and how the whole page
0: flows together interesting so you said something there about the uh the the scene changes from from a positive to to a negative and sometimes a neutral um i'm wondering are you familiar with the the, the book the the story grid um because they they talk about that a lot in, in there so uh, if not i'm it's just maybe just a, a thing that you you learn through storytelling yourself so I'm not familiar with that particular
1: book, but there is the. Uh, so whenever I'm writing, there is a book. It's called the Comics Experience Guide to Writing Comics by Andy Schmidt. Mm-hmm. This is my holy grail of how I structure a story, and that's where I. I mean, pretty much everything that I do when I'm writing a script or when I'm when I'm you know developing a story. Comes from that book because it, 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 I think it's an adaptation of the snowflake method where you, you know, you start small and then you kind of build on in these chunks out from there. But, um, it, I mean, it, I, I have my characters built out, I know what they want, I know how they're going to get it, I know if they're not going to get it. So, I mean, that's really where it starts the whole thing, like the overall, like eight, 10 issues, whatever it's going to end up being is all it all started with my main character this is what they're after these are the tools they have to get it these are the things that are standing in their way and at the end they do or they do not get what they're after and where do they go from there like that was the first thing that i wrote and then everything else just kind of flowed out from there
0: awesome yeah i uh i actually i'm acquaintances with with andy um and i have that book as well so that i will i will second you on uh they the, that as a as a resource tool. Very cool, awesome. So, cool. um, y- you were talking there about um why, when you're putting the pages together, you, you don't quite have the 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 dialogue all planned out. You obviously know the characters' motivations, and maybe while you're, you know, you're, you're doing that in um, the sort of the movies playing in your head. Um, and one thing I can see here from going through there is that you do a good job of, of, uh, you know, either the, the narration or the, uh, the caption boxes, um, sort of in the placement, do you ever like, you know, do you ever go, okay, I need to leave sort of some space above this character's head so that, um, you know, when I come back and I do this dialogue, I'm going to have some sort of, I'm not sort of, I'm going to have a little bit of, uh. You know, negative space to put that uh, that word balloon or that narration box um, around them. Do you, do you ever think about that? Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, whenever I'm whenever I'm doing my page layouts and and doing my panel breakdowns and stuff, um, I intentionally leave that space open. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, as I said, I may not necessarily know how much of that space I'm going to use, but it's definitely. And, and you'll see on some pages, I probably left too much space. Um, And other pages, you know, I didn't quite leave enough or I tried to put too many panels. There's one there is one page in the first issue in particular where when I look at it, I'm like, man, there's too many panels on this page. Um, It's actually like the third page or the fourth page where they're they're having a conversation in an alley. And it's just two guys talking. I could have done anything there, but I decided to put like 10 panels on that page. Um, Ten is an exaggeration, but it's a lot. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely leave that space open. I don't, I don't crowd my panels to the point where I'm not going to be able to put the word balloons in.
0: Yeah. Um, and I guess with you being the, the, the writer and, and the artist, you can't, uh, you can't go back to the artist and, and complain about the, the, the page that had too many panels. I, I made, I guess maybe not the rookie mistake, but early on, I made a mistake one time where I, I had a book where there was a lot of like 15 panel um, pages Oof. and then the writer came back. He's like, not, not a chance. And I'm like, all right, yeah. let me go through here. And, and now I get a little bit uh, I get a little bit nervous if I, if I get up around nine, I'm like, all right, you know, let's uh, let's figure this out. Let's not uh, let's not go crazy here. So yeah, you, you can't, uh, you can't complain to to the writer there. Can you? No, not at all. I try <laughs> to keep it at like six, like mm-hmm.
1: six is like as six to seven panels is really as many as I ever want to have on the page, especially, I mean, even from just, uh, from just the standpoint of the more panels that you have, the more stuff you have to draw on a single page. Um, and just because you're drawing more stuff doesn't mean that you're actually getting more out of that page. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think it does anybody any good if you draw the same character's head, you know, four times when you could have just drawn it once.
0: Yeah. So uh, actually, that's that was something I was thinking about. Um, do you have uh, I, you do a really great job of um, looking at the characters like the the faces are, you know, I could tell which character is is, is who. Um, do you have sort of like character models that, that you look at, or is it just something that you, you're so familiar with these and you've worked with it so much, so many times, like, you know, when you sit down to draw, you know, character X, you're like, all right, I can, I can nail this face or, or character Y I could, I can nail this face. Uh, or do you sort of have like a, like a model sheet that maybe you'll call up and and reference here or there?
1: No, I definitely have a model sheet. Okay, Um, I don't always need it, but. I definitely have it, especially the main character in the series. His name is Hemi. Um, If you look, he's actually got, uh, he's got an X in the contours of his face. He has his, his brow forms the top legs of the X and then the lines coming from the corners of his eyes down his cheeks form the bottom legs of the X. Mm -hmm. That is kind of the visual or that's, yeah, that's the visual shortcut to say this is who that character is. I've, I have tinkered around with that face and there have been times when I haven't gotten it exactly right. But as long as that X is there, he looks like that character. And it's not, unless I pointed out, I don't think you would notice it, but it's it's definitely an X and it was mm-hmm. intentionally done.
0: Yeah, and his nose looks, uh, forgive me if, I, if, 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 I, if I'm wrong here, but is, is, is his nose supposed to look a, a little crooked, um, you know, not not straight, or you know, maybe like he's he's been in a fight in the past. Yeah, there's a lot of history to that character.
1: Um as far as like in the world, not not for me personally, but there's a lot of history in his backstory. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, he's meant to be he, he's meant to look rough. A little he, he's meant to look like he's been roughed up a
0: few times. Very cool. All right, so let's uh, let's turn our attention to a little bit more of the, the story here. Um, you know, you gave us this elevator pitch where you said, you know, there's there's these uh, elements of mythology. Um, I think you said earlier, like imagine if they all sort of went away and, and came back together. It was, was that right? Yeah, yeah, something to that effect. Yeah, there's so there's a
1: lot going into into what that actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like a straight up every God that you've ever heard of in mythology exists in exactly the way that you understand them to exist. It's not meant to be that. It's meant to be more of, there was an original source to all of this and the myths and legends that came out of those people existing, and they are people, uh, or at least a lot, most of them are the myths and legends that came out of those people existing is what we have that's left of their actual life. So, you know, in just the same way that who's to say that, you know, 4,000 years ago or 4,000 years from now, somebody's not going to see these endless tomes of this person called Superman and think that we worship Superman and look at this crazy mythology around Superman and this pantheon of gods of Batman and Wonder Woman. It's kind of something like that. It's,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's a representation of, of a culture and of something that was real, but it's not accurate. So in the story, in the first issue, Zeus is mentioned. And when I say Zeus, you immediately think, you know, the Greek mythological, you know, god Zeus. And while that is sort of who I'm talking about, it's not really who I'm talking about within the scope of
0: this narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, so was mythology something that you were always sort of fascinated? Um, you know, for me, um, go uh, going to school, you know, there was things that I was, you know, more interested in, um, and things that I was, you know, less interested in, or if we got a book to read, I can remember, you know, I'm really excited when the assignment is to, to to read the hobbit and then the next day or the next you know book is like all right you're gonna read um not the you know the, the outsiders or something like that like yeah i like the outsiders but i really like the hobbit you know so there's things that like you you know get your juices flowing and, and make you more excited so it was like mythology and, and learning about that stuff something maybe you were excited about um as a kid and just sort of continued uh and put you on this path here it's always been something that i've been interested
1: in Um, but a lot of this comes more from so it's it's born more from what the nature of reality actually is and what the nature of things as we perceive them actually are Um, so that was really kind of where the idea started was what so trying to explain this without spoiling things but we we experience things the way that they are like say we experience that the earth is the earth but what would that look like on a higher plane of existence like if you know under the assumption that a higher plane of existence actually exists okay um like is the earth what is is the earth so the idea here is the earth is a manifestation of something greater than what we actually perceive it to be so we see the earth as it is manifested in the reality that we live in but it's really a representation of something that exists in a higher reality than what we can experience and so we start so i started getting into like cosmic consciousness and things like that like Maybe the, and this is something that you can get on YouTube and you can listen to people give hour long lectures about does the star have a conscious or does the sun have a consciousness? Does the galaxy have a consciousness? Um, and that's fascinating to me. And that was really the seed that started the whole thing was what if every cosmic being that we experience in the sky is conscious what would that look like if their consciousness actually exists on a higher realm of reality? And what we experience in our world is just a representation as as it appears to us. And what would those beings be like? Okay, well, that immediately latches on to what mythology is, because the planets are so tied up in mythology, that I mean, it's across the world, basically, every, every mythology has some interaction with, with planetary bodies and on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of was the spark that, that started me down the path of using mythology as a way to kind of bridge the divide between this weird stuff that is going on way over here versus the stuff that's going on in a world that we understand. Um, and mythology is kind of what exists between those two worlds
0: very interesting and it sounds like uh it's also uh very deep and, and you thought about this uh quite uh, quite a bit um so did you do a lot of uh did you do a lot of research um did you ever go you know i really need sort of uh, this this element uh for for the story and then you sort of search out and you go okay maybe this piece of mythology you know either like Norse mythology Greek mythology um somewhere else in in, in the world and you say like all right I can take this piece and, and, and fit it into the into the story into the narrative of what I'm trying to do here absolutely yeah so and
1: actually in some cases the stories from the mythology influenced kind of the history cuz I've got as you know you, you you say that I've clearly thought this out I've got like basically 13 billion years of history mapped out for this for this book <laughs> as far as when things started and how we got to where we are right now like i needed all of that in place so that i could build off of it basically um so yeah but there were a lot of cases where i would be reading about some of the characters and i call them characters but there were gods and goddesses and stuff that I was pulling in from other sources specifically mythology And reading the stories from mythology and saying, okay, well, that's interesting. I can pull that. And while what the mythology says happens isn't exactly going to match one for one to what I say happens in the history of my story, there's enough elements there that you can see where this is the source of the myth that exists on into today. It it got twisted through the, you know, through all the years of retelling and history and, you know, just, you know, the telephone game up to the present day. But this was the source of that story. This is the record that exists. And it's not a perfect representation of what actually happened.
0: Is that sort of, uh, you know, story Bible or, or world Bible, um, you, you said it was, you know, so many number of, of million years going back. Is that sort of a, uh, like a, a physical, you know, either a file or a notebook, or is that something that just sort of uh, lives in your head and you're sort of, um, you know, keeping track of things um, or if things pop into your mind? You're like, all right, this is that. Like, how do you, how do you keep track of all of that stuff?
1: So I do have a story Bible file on, a, on my Google Drive that has all that stuff in it. Because, you know, as I said earlier, whenever you try to keep something in your head, you always run the risk of that thing changing, whether you intended it to or not, because it just morphs in your head over time. So when I kind of started to get these ideas all lined out, it became more and more important because I was trying to fit so many things into a single timeline, so to speak. That I, I had to have a concrete point A, point B, point C kind of thing. So I had to write it down. There was no way. There was no way that I was going to be consistent in, like, the foreshadowing and in the the callbacks or you know the references that that I'm going to be dropping into the story over the course of time. There was no way that that was going to stay consistent unless I had it. Solidly formed somewhere, so I had to put it. I had to write it down, basically. So Otherwise, you, I would end up as the X Files, where every mythology
0: episode's a different mythology. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when you're putting together that that world Bible, I'm assuming that that sort of um, takes takes some time, and maybe it's not sort of a, a linear process. Um, and with it being a, like a Google document, did you ever find that you were? Um, you know, you were doing something and you, we, we, I think as creatives, we, we sometimes, well, not sometimes, but we, we sort of have these uh, eureka moments where you're, you know, you're mowing the grass or you're, you're driving in your car and you're like, okay, that's the thing I need to tie this together or that's the thing I need to, to, to break that story point. Um, so, like, if that ever happens, are you, you calling up your, your phone and, 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 and entering that uh, right away or are you able to just sort of you know lock that away um and then get it down in, in a reasonable amount of time I, I try not to hold on to
1: it in my head any longer than i have to mm-hmm. i mean if i'm drawing like i'm not gonna pull over on the side of the road and pull out my phone to start typing into my into my google doc but i'll, I'll hold on to it long enough to to not be an insane person and then I will, yeah, pull my phone out and throw it in and, and make sure that I at least get the gist of what it is that I had the thought of mm-hmm. and then come back to it later and, and revisit it and make sure that I've got it fleshed out and that all the pieces still work and that it, it fits. But but yeah, no, definitely. That, and that's one of the things I love about having, you know, Google Drive or OneDrive or these things that you can literally access wherever you go, Um is you don't have to hold that stuff in your head for very long. I mean, even that's one of the great things about working digitally for the artwork is if I have to go get my oil changed at the car dealership. Yeah, I don't I don't have somebody come get me. I don't ask for a rental car to be able to like go to the mall or whatever. I sit in the waiting room and I work on my comics. I mean, you just it, it just opens up so much more opportunities when you when you can do things like that.
0: Yeah, and so to to that point, do you do you have a a, a tablet uh, that that you carry around to to do your art with? Yeah, I have an iPad that I just basically I don't take it everywhere that I go,
1: but if mm-hmm. I think that there's going to be any opportunity at all, I'll take it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing, um, you know, that I can pretty much go anywhere um, with with you know I have a MacBook and I have an iPad and an Apple pencil, and that's pretty much all I need to have is to, for a, a mobile comic making studio. So it's, it's a pretty amazing, you know, uh, thing to have. Yeah. Cool. So actually while you were talking about all of this stuff, um, you know, the, the art, um, and, uh, you know, the, the story and, and building the world, what is your sort of, um, what is your sort of your day? Like, I know you, you said, you know, if I'm going to go to the dealership, or if I'm going to be somewhere that has a waiting room and I can capitalize on that time to, you know, to work on the book, you're going to do that. Um, You know, like a lot of us, you know, we have the day job and then we're doing this in the evening. Um, Do you have like a, like a goal? Like, you know, I want to do a page a day. I want to sit down and work on something uh, for an hour um, it doesn't sound like you're one of those guys who, who waits for the, for the muse to, to hit them. It sounds like you have a, a pretty solid uh, work ethic. So, so what is your, your sort of your day like um, to, to get something done? So, um,
1: so I, my day job, I'm a network uh, engineer and administrator for a, for a pretty large company. Um, so that being the case, my hours can get a little weird. So I, uh, I actually was staving off text messages as I was sitting down to get ready to do this interview. Um, uh, but so point being, I don't have, I mean, I have a nine to five basically, but it's not always a nine to five. Sometimes it's a, it's a nine till whenever the job's done kind of thing. But for the most part, um, it's, it's at night after Mm -hmm. my kids have gone to bed. Um, so usually from about nine o'clock on, I'm sitting on the couch watching reruns with my wife of Friends or the Big Bang Theory or whatever mindless television is, is available at the time. Um, and I just plug away at it. And like you said, yeah, I don't, I'm not usually sitting around waiting for the bug to hit that I have the need to, to draw or to work on the book or whatever. It's just kind of become a habit of kids are in bed. Now it's our downtime. I'm going to work on this book for an hour and a half, two hours. And that's pretty much every night. And on the weekends, it's even more than that. I mean, if we're not doing anything like it's, it's literally the iPad is in my hand almost all day, Saturday and Sunday I'm sitting on the couch on Sundays, watching football drawing the whole time. (laughs) So uh, it's, I don't have like a goal. Like I'm not trying to like knock out a page a day or whatever. Like, I, cause I just, if I start doing stuff like that, I'm going to start stressing myself out sure. about the days that I don't get the goal done. So it's really more of a, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to, if I get tired and I just don't feel like I can do this anymore, I'll put the tablet down and I'll, and I'll stop. And I'll go to bed earlier than I normally would. Um, it, it just, I just kind of do it's yeah it's hard to to really be more concise than
0: that I just do it all the time whenever I can very cool so you said that like uh you can draw to you know having sort of uh you know a tv show on in the background I know a lot of times um you know I'll put on a movie or like a a youtube show that i'm interested in that i could sort of half pay attention to and uh and draw at the same time uh, when you're writing um is there do you do you need silence can you write the music for myself personally i sort of either write to sort of like uh soundtracks or um sort of instrumental like uh indie rock is there is there something you put on when you're sort of in that 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 writer headspace so it's
1: probably it probably slows me down but I end up writing in the exact same environment that I do the drawing in but it it works because I'm not like if I was trying to come up with dialogue there's no way that I'd be able to sit there and listen to something that had dialogue. Mm -hmm. Like it would just, the two things would cross up in my head and I would be, it it would screw me up. But when I have, when I know what my structure is and I, and I'm following this really brick by brick formula, um, I can do it. I mean, I could probably do it faster if I was sitting in a quiet room or if I had some kind of instrumental music playing instead of some stupid TV show. But um it just, you know, it's. I'm not doing this for a career, and so if it takes me a little bit longer to to write the story because I choose to sit and watch The Big Bang Theory while I'm writing an issue, then it just takes me longer. It's not a huge deal. Um, it usually, usually, it takes me about a week. Once I, once I sit down and I commit to hammering out what the next issue story is going to be and starting to build that structure I usually can get the outline done all right I usually can get the like the skeleton of the story done in the first night sometimes the second night um, and then usually by the time like if that starts on a Monday then usually by the time the next Monday comes around I'm I'm in a spot where I'm drawing again um, so it's not really. I don't know
0: it's not really that big of a deterrent okay um and you're so you do that uh i guess maybe that uh that, that that writing sprint um when you get into sort of uh the 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 mode where you're where you're drawing are you um you know loose penciling um the the whole issue and then going back and 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 inking it adding the gray tones or is it like page one start to finish page two start to finish what's the process there it's it's
1: page one start to finish page okay. two start to finish the
0: only thing that I do
1: all at once is the thumbnails okay. um, I'll sit down and like I said I'll do I'll do all 24 pages of thumbnails but then once I get to the actual like finished artwork for the pages it's it is a finished page. When I'm before before I move on to page two, page one is done, and,
0: and do the only you, thing
1: I have to do is go back and add add
0: dialogue because I do all the dialogue in one go, at the end. So Draw you, the lettering. You you mentioned um, you have a uh, an editor. Um, it is uh, let's see here, it is uh, uh, J J Red. Yeah. Um, so are you? how often do you check in with him? Is it like, all right, this page is done. Take a look. Or is it like, here's a batch of five pages. Um, how often are you, or maybe even daily, are you guys sort of trading text messages, emails, sharing files? So we,
1: I mean, we message each other all the time about just whatever. Um, Cause we're, I mean, we're, he's one of my best friends okay, beyond comic books. So we, we talk regularly anyway, but um it's just pretty much when I have a page finished, I'll I'll send it over to him uh, via text, and just be like, "Hey, check it out." Or the only other time that I would do anything other than that is if I'm in a panel or if I'm I'm in this certain aspect of the page, and I'm just having a really hard time getting what's in my head onto the page. Mm-hmm. Then I'll then I'll take what what I have and I'll I'll send him just the snip of this of this thing that I'm stuck on and just be like, Hey man, I'm, I'm struggling with this one part. Like you have any suggestions on, on what I'm doing wrong or, and, and he'll, you know, we'll text back and forth a couple of times. And then I get an idea of, of what it is that he's suggesting. And, and then I I pretty much am able to kind of go from there and
0: and move on again. Very cool. Well, I think we touched on a lot of things during this interview, you know, sort of the 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 spark of the idea, the execution of the idea, and, and and finishing everything up, and also a little discussion of the, of the of the workflow. Um, so as we close up, um, it right now I think the the best means to 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 get the book is is your Gumroad page. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah and um i'm going to put a link to it in the show notes but is it something that's sort of easy to find like gumroad/ slash, you know whatever uh you you have as a domain
1: it is it's gumroad.com and i think i think they do
0: app.gumroad.com/scribbly comics okay so um like i said i'm going to have a a link to to the gumroad um and i know maybe you have some uh future plans on, on other distribution. Do you, do you want to talk about that? I mean, these are just things possibly down the road or if that's something you don't want to cover right now, we we don't have to do that.
1: No. Yeah. I can kind of get into it. That's fine. Um, So I did, uh, as we talked about previously uh, before the show started, um, I did do a limited print run for the first issue. It was 25 issues uh, and I did signed and numbered and I sold them on, I have a website, scribblycomics.com. Um, and I, I have a link to my shop that's on there. And so I was selling through there and I sold out of that first print run and I'm going to do a physical print run for the second issue. Um, but I'm just waiting for the holiday season to kind of come and go before Mm -hmm. I do that, because there's just a lot going on and shipping gets more expensive this time of year. So just letting all this hustle and bustle get behind me and then, then I'll do it when everybody's not so focused on what they're getting their kids and their family members for Christmas. Um, uh, so, and I've, and I've kind of thought about doing a Kickstarter. Um, I've, I've done a couple of Kickstarters with collaborators. I've never done one where it was just me running it. And the thing that I'm terrible at is social media and promoting my work. So I've kind of ridden the coattails, so to speak, of, of the other guys who are a little bit better at that than I am to get to get funding um it's just a gap that I have like I don't know I've just never really been that into social media to begin with so to try to force myself to get out there and do it is is kind of a challenge I'm I'm working on it um so I'm a little hesitant to do a kickstarter just because I don't know that it would get funded but um which would be completely on me for not telling people the book was out there um so, but I'm kind of thinking that maybe I'll wait until I can collect it into a single volume and, and sell it that way. That way, Because one thing that I've learned as I've kind of gone through this process with Novus Ordo is I'm not, like, I, I like to have a finished product to, to release to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, I think, the, I think the issue by issue release schedule works well for the major publishers who can put out a book, you know, a new issue every month. But if you're in the position where I'm at, where you're putting out a new issue and it takes you like six months to get the next one out, I mean, that's a huge ask for people to, to come back six months later and try to remember this 24-page book that they read six months ago and still have enough interest in in the product to, to read the next one and expect them to, to, you know, stay hooked on it when your release schedule is so far apart. So I'm kind of... I'm kind of way waffling a little bit on, on how I want to do that. I may, I'm probably going to do the limited release run for every issue of this book that I do um, as far as uh, physical print goes for single issue. But I'm really more focused on heavy, heavy promotion of something once I have a completed story.
0: Yeah. And that would probably be a good um, sort of uh, aspect to to be able to present it. Cause you'd be able to present it like, Hey, this is, this is done. This is, you know, if you look at it, it's, it's 12 single issues, uh, you know, collected, it's X number of pages, but it's done. It's, it's just, it's just ready to, to be collected. Um, you know, files uploaded and, 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 you know, sent off to the printer. So that would probably be a big sort of a selling point that you could use. Yeah. And one of the things that I've also noticed, um, because we, we have done some
1: smaller conventions mm-hmm. and what people tend to gravitate towards buying at conventions are completed work. Like people come into a convention, they see you for the first time and you've got issue one of this series. They don't know if they're ever even going to see you again to buy the second issue, let mm-hmm. alone third, fourth, or fifth, or however many it ends up going for. Um, so that all makes perfect sense. I understand the buying mentality there. So that's also kind of the benchmark I'm trying to hit is finish a story and have that to present to people, even at conventions and be like, look, you can buy this. This is finished. There's not, you don't have to ever find me again. If you don't want to, you can just read this thing
0: for what it is. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. And uh, you know, the, the to have somebody come in at an issue one um, you know, they, they, they're not sure if they're going to see you again, if you guys are ever going to link up. Um, And also um, I think, you know, when, when we go to a con, you know, I, the, that, that first goal is, is to, is to, to, to break even on, on the table and it's a lot easier. um, You know, it might be a little bit of a higher priced item, but people are, you know, there's, there's, there are people who want trades. They don't want single issues. They want, they want it all collected easily to sort of, you know, put on a, on a bookshelf when they're done with it. They don't necessarily, you know, I'm, I, I like to bag and board my single issues and, and put them in a box, but not everybody um, wants to do that. So that's the sort of the, the appeal of a trade as well.
1: Yeah. And it was actually, so the, my buddy, Jay Red he did a book with another guy uh, called abducted and it was only five issues. The whole series is just five issues. And, rather than do a trade what they did was they collected all five issues and they made this this really cool custom um, package and so you can buy the box set that includes you know there's some extra stuff that they throw in you know stickers and and prints and things like that i'm not 100% sure what's in there so please don't think this is a sales pitch <laughs> for for abducted but yeah and i think there's a publisher that does. i think it's TKO or somebody that rather than selling you a trade, they sell you a box set of all of the issues that would have gone into the trade. So that's, so you, you're still getting that single issue experience, but you're
0: getting a whole story collected. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting way to do it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a pretty cool idea. Um, So you did mention there earlier that uh, you have a webpage, um, you, you have a Gumroad site but you did say you're not so great at the social media game. Um, do you have any social media handles that uh, you want to give, uh, give out to, to folks?
1: Yeah. So you can uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Scribbly. That's like Scribbly S C R I B I L L Y. Um, and that's the same thing for the, for the website, it's scribblycomics.com. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram. It's, uh at scribbly underscore comics um and I, I have a facebook page but you can follow me on facebook you're never gonna see anything um tw- uh, instagram is the one that i post to the most mm-hmm. um i'm trying to get more active on twitter though uh but that's i've tried to get more active on twitter like six times in my life and here we are still trying to get more active on twitter um but yeah, Instagram is probably the best place to find me. And I have links to everything. Like I have links directly to my Gumroad. I have links to pretty much everything that you could think of that I'm doing is all on my uh, my website, scribblycomics.com. And I actually have a Patreon as well because I, I had a bunch of like just random anthology works and stuff that I'd done. And it's all like one shot short story kind of stuff. And I didn't really have anywhere to put it once I was done with it. And so I've just kind of been building this online repository. And so you can, you can back me on Patreon for a dollar a month and get access to all those stories. I want to say, and, and the two Novus Ordo issues are actually in there as well. Um, so you can buy them on Gumroad or you can become a subscriber on Patreon and you'll get them that way too.
0: Awesome. So I think what we'll do with our, our show notes is just put the, uh, it seems like the, the hub is the, the the web page so if we put that in the show notes that's going to allow people to sort of branch off into either the patreon the the gum road or the the twitter and the instagram so that's what we'll put in in the show notes here but uh billy it's been great uh, talking to you um you know i got to to read a preview of the the first two issues there it was really cool cool stuff um so you know maybe what we can do is um in a couple of months or so, maybe about six months, maybe even like a year, um, we can check back in sort of a a state of the union on, uh, on this book and see, see where we are. um, And just sort of check in with you if if you're up to that. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. Yeah. I had a blast. Um, Thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me come on. Awesome. Uh, So once again, uh, check the show notes, Uh, there'll be a link to to Billy's uh, webpage um and then you'll be able to go everywhere um and check out all that different stuff um i'm also going to have uh a link to a kickstarter it's called future tales of sci-fi um if you're listening to this sort of on the day of release you, you might have a chance to check that out um but it's, it's closing very soon, but I I just want to give everybody the opportunity, um, maybe first day listeners to still be able to check that out. If you want to check out the podcast, we're on Twitter and that is at construct Pod. Instagram is constructing comics pod and Facebook is constructing comics. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Please be safe, be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.